everybody! Welcome to episode 39 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Casterapple, and with me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins! Hey, 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 I'm back! <laughs> You're back! Back from GP Hartford? Uh, yes, back from GP Hartford. Had a, had a, a pretty long trek back from there, but uh, we've made it, I'm home. Yeah, pretty much had to drive all the way up the East Coast and back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's. I feel like I'm kind of getting a good feel for my driving radius. I, I know a lot of Magic players who travel have their own like driving radius, and mine's pretty wide. But I think that driving up to Hartford is definitely on like the uh, the, the edge of my radius. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's about eleven hours. Um, so yeah. it's definitely pushing it a little. Yeah. But, you know, I, uh, I love it and um, definitely don't mind doing that in order to get to an event every once in a while. So Yeah, um, yeah. and especially if you have good people to travel with, it can be okay. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I just remember I uh, went to, to meet up with a friend who was uh, through hiking the Appalachian Trail and met up with her in uh, New Hampshire. And then when I drove back alone... My GPS decided that the best way to get back to North Carolina from New Hampshire was straight through New York City. So nice. <laughs> yeah, I think that we went through that area. It can definitely get pretty messy, but yeah. uh, not too bad. But yeah, I mean, so the the weekend in Hartford was uh, it was pretty good. I played humans. I definitely messed around with a few different options, like Hollowed One or like a Vengevine deck or something. But decided to settle on humans. I just thought that it was probably just going to be the best position for the weekend. And we had a spicy kind of addition to our humans deck. Zan, Jonathan Rossum, and Chris McCord and I all played 74 of the same cards, which was cool. Where we had one Avacyn's Pilgrim in our vile human list, just kind of mm-hmm. like as an additional mana dork, because we, we we kind of figured out that the draws that you have an accelerant or a vile are just like infinitely better than any of your other draws. So we wanted right, to right. like maximize that a little bit. But the more spicy tech that we had was we played three Eldrazi Displacers, which were Ooh, very nice. That is really spicy. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah. So how how were they? Insane. Very insane. Uh-huh. Like, they they dominated the mirror, really good against Hollow One, just kind of like any creature deck. And also, there's just a bunch of fancy stuff that you can do with them, um, with kind of all of your cards, like resettling a meddling mage, or getting another Thali's Lieutenant trigger, bouncing something again with a Reflector Mage, just... Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I was, a little, I was pretty skeptical about, you know, that being effective. Sure. But... It ended up working out much better than I guess I I would have thought it would. Like, you know, the concerns are we have Ancient Ziggurat in our deck, so is that going to make things awkward? Or is it just like, you know, just going to be a 3-mana 3-3 too much of the time? But I was definitely really impressed with the card, and I'm glad I ran it. Yeah, so that definitely takes the place of any of the, like, grindy options that you can put in like like pia and kieran or whirler rogue or anything like yeah that. yeah we right we kind of eliminated all of our flex slots in favor of three of these so like no malcontents mm-hmm. no you know whirler rogue nothing too fancy <laughs> nothing too fancy except eldrazi displacer right right yeah i mean you know if we're gonna be fancy there then <laughs> right right the, de- sure. the rest of the deck needs to be pretty lean at that point <laughs> Yeah, and you know, and that was kind of definitely another thing that I knew that I wanted was I really just wanted my deck to be lower on the curve and like pretty aggressive. And I think that the extra absence pilgrim 
helps with that a lot where you know it's just more more hands that can like curve out really well with a with a mana dork and everything we, we definitely got a little fancy with it but the rest of our deck was pretty pretty lean which i think is pretty important yeah for sure especially right now i mean you know modern is modern so it's not like anything is particularly a huge percentage of the meta game but you know the two main decks that people are talking about all the time are are humans and hollow ones so you don't want to be you know getting caught you know fiddling around for too long in modern right now especially yeah. like like looking at that top eight from gp hartford it's just all like super super proactive decks that are you know if not trying to deal 20 on turn three like are trying to get to the game to a pretty unwinnable point by game yeah, three for sure for sure or by um, turn three yeah I definitely think. definitely very a lot of like very proactive decks and you know that's just kind of something that we always know about modern is that proactivity in the end i feel like always comes out on top in modern it seems like especially true at this exact moment for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, like like Jund is, has fallen off, of, you know, a, a pretty fair amount, and yeah. just, you know, Dex from Apologies the top thirty-two. To all the Jund fans out there, but I think that something that we definitely realized, um, kind of leading into this weekend, was that Jund is just not as good as the good modern decks right now. It's just not strong. Yeah. Like, Liliana the Veil is pretty weak to everything right now. Like, it's not good against Hollow One. It's not good against humans. It's not good against, you know, a lot of the combo decks and stuff. So, like, if that's, like, one of your heavy hitters that you're leaning on, then it's probably not really where you want to be. So, yeah, we we definitely expected Jund to not have a good weekend. Right. And and Bloodbraid Elf, like, matches up, like kind of badly against a lot of stuff right now. It's It's not great against the big creatures out of Hollow One. It's you know, never been very good against humans. It, and, you know, so there are people who have been talking about cutting Bloodbraid Elves from Jund, but at that point, like, the whole reason Jund came back was because of Bloodbraid Elf. And so if you're doing that, I think you need a different a different approach to your deck. Yeah, yeah. Those are my thoughts on the weekend, but we've we've got some more exciting things to talk about, I think. This yeah, episode. we've got something a little bit more pressing at the moment. <laughs> as much as I do love talking about modern, what I really am excited to talk about is Dominaria. Full set is out. We are going to do a full constructed set review of what is looking like a super, super cool set. We, what we've decided to do is uh, split up our set review into two parts because we tend to go pretty deep on individual cards and rather than uh, like cutting ourselves off artificially, I think we kind of want to make sure we give everything it's due. So we're going to split the set review and this week we're going to do white, blue, and black cards and next week we're going to do all the rest. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped. This set looks very sweet from a uh, from from a lot of perspectives, I think it'll be good for gameplay, but, you know, it's also just a very cool-looking set with lots of little nods to Magic's history, and I I really appreciate that. Yeah, definitely a lot of nostalgia, and just kind of a lot of cool things going on in the set, so... Yeah, a lot of cool designs, and I, I will probably have a hard time not talking about the ones that I particularly like, even as we're <laughs> trying to, like... <laughs> be very precise on how good they are and what they what we think they'll do in each format and stuff. Yeah, but. yeah, definitely. But yeah, you know, definitely excited. So I'm, I'm ready to jump into it. Yeah, definitely. So just quickly before we go in, let's... I, I just want to go over our rating scale. So we've changed this up a bit from last time, and we're still kind of finding our footing here a little bit. So definitely any feedback on whether or not this is a rating scale that like makes sense and, and works for our listeners is it would be helpful. What we've decided to do is sort of split up our ratings. So 
we had a little bit of trouble because we were trying to like give a card a grade. So, you know, the Scarab God is an X, but it's not the same, you know, if we call it an A, but our A rating is supposed to like encompass multi-format all-stars or something like that, then that can really mess up, you know, Scarab God defines standard or, or did for quite a while, maybe not as much at this moment. Um, and to not give it an A is really weird because, uh, you know, it's often the most important card in the format, but it's not even modern playable. So what we're going to do is sort of divide up our ratings. Every card is going to get a standard rating. And then if we think it has modern implications, we'll also give it a modern rating. Um, we considered doing no ratings at all, but that's not really fun. So uh, <laughs> we yeah figured we'd stick with something. So just really quickly to go over the rating scale. Um, so for something to be an A, that's gonna need to be a format defining card in whatever format it is. So in standard, this is gonna be cards like Glorybringer, Scarab God, uh, Preban, Rogue Refiner, that sort of thing. For, you know, Thoughtseize in Modern is, is an example of this. Uh, for a card to be a B, this is something that we're calling like a consistent format presence. It might not be defining everything, but it definitely is a big piece of the metagame, shows up in a lot of different decks. So cards like a Braid and Walking Ballista that are very good, maybe not quite the the most important cards in the format, but still still helping to shape what's going on. Uh, C cards are like role players. They're going to see a lot of play in the decks that they're in, but a lot of times they're kind of limited by the types of decks that they fit into. So these are cards like Earthshaker Kenra and Winding Constrictor were our examples for this. We're going to give Ds to cards that are more speculative, that are probably only good if the format is in a specific place. So examples of this would be like Struggle to Survive, which saw play mostly because of the Scarab God, but still didn't see a ton of play and only in specific decks that couldn't get the colors for the real Scarab God removal. You know, a card like Ripjaw Raptor might get a D. It still hasn't seen very much play, but the power level is there. You need to be in a specific place with the format where you're willing to cast big dumb four drops that might get you some card advantage or something. And then hopefully we're not giving out too many Fs, but... I want to keep that grade in my pocket because there may be a couple of cards on this list that are only we're only talking about because other people are talking about them and hyping them up and we're not buying into the hype at all. So, you know, from Ixalan Block, that would have been something like Old Growth Dryads that people were excited about or at least making a lot of noise about, but really we're not. We're not <laughs> things deserving yeah. of noise. Right, right. Yeah, and so, and before we forget, we should also thank our patrons, our, our new patrons, uh, Joshua Egan, Egan, Johnny Elver. So thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Really, really appreciate it. And yeah, I think it's time to get to the set review. So we'll start with white, and these are mostly in alphabetical order. I probably accidentally screwed that up at some point, but <laughs> mostly in alphabetical order. Uh, so first one is Baird, Steward of Argive. So this is two white-white for a 2-4 legendary creature human soldier. Vigilance, creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller pays one for each of those creatures. So kind of like a, a mini ghostly prison effect, but, you know, any, any kind of effect like that is going to be really powerful, it feels like. 
if there are any decks in standard that you know are, are definitely trying to go wide and right now there are like there are there are decks that are playing you know pride of conquerors and so like any deck playing pride of conquerors is definitely going to be going wide and not going to be able to afford paying one mana for each creature they're attacking with so if you have an effect like this and those decks are also unlikely to be playing much creature removal because they exactly. just don't have space for it. Yeah, for sure. Good point. So I could definitely see, like, if, if those go-wide strategies become prevalent enough, then I, I can definitely see this being, a, a, like, a huge hate card for, for that kind of, like, go-wide strategy. And, and I think that the go-wide strategies are definitely going to be popular, you know, not only because we, you know, we've seen a little bit of that in the, in the previous standard, but also because some of the cards that we're going to be talking about really support go-wide strategies, like the next card that we're going to be talking about. But yeah, so this, just kind of like taking a, taking a look at where, you know, we might expect the format to go, this guy seems, seems pretty powerful. Yeah, I, I think this is a solid sideboard card at the very least. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure that the format could ever get to a place where I really want to put this into my main deck, but I think this is a, a card you want to keep in mind for sideboarding for those matchups, definitely. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I you know, I'm, I, I agree, and I, I don't think that I would put it in the main deck either, but like any white deck having access to this in the sideboard seems just a, a great sideboard option. Yeah, and we're going to keep sideboard as a, a grade because that's a little outside of the, the grading scale. So this is a totally fine sideboard card. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. Our second card is Benelish Marshall. This is three white mana, white, 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 for a 3-3 three, three human knight. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So, damn, that is a lot of stats for three mana. <laughs> that is a lot of stats for three mana. People are really excited about this card, and I... I agree. I think it's going to be really powerful because like any Anthem effect right now is going to be pretty strong or just like any Anthem effect in standard in general is going to be pretty strong. Like we've already seen like, you know, the vampire decks with um, they just play Radiant Destiny and this is kind of the same thing. It's Radiant Destiny with a body. But the fact that it's an Anthem with a body is kind of pros and cons a little bit. You know, it gives you a body, which is always nice, but at the same time, it's going to be more susceptible to any kind of removal spells. So, uh, you know, you're kind of opening yourself up to getting, like, blown out in combat or something like that. So, a few concerns there, but if you're taxing your opponent's removal spells and they, like, have to use all of their turns answering your creatures, then, you know, I think you're still going to be in a good spot anyways. So, this guy definitely does seem very, very powerful. Yeah, and I, I think there's, like, ready-made spots for it already, even disregarding things that it opens up as possibilities. You know, like the Sam Black-style mono-white deck that, like, I, I think this fits right into any of those strategies. It's very good with cards like like Heart of Kirin. It can crew Heart of Kirin and make it a 5-5. It also makes it easier to crew Heart of Kirin. It doesn't care about the creature types of your other creatures, but it is a knight, which is important for one of the cards we'll get to in a minute. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot of this card in the future. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see it. It does fit really well with the next card that we're going to talk about, which is I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited for, not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I would assign Benelish Marshall somewhere between a, a C and a B, and I think I would probably get closer to, to B. I'm pretty I'm on, bullish I'm on, on this card. I'm on closer to B, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely going to exist in the format. Who knows if it's going to be one of those broken cards? Like it, it could just easily be like, oh, all right, well the 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 white knight deck is just broken because of this guy. But I don't I don't think it'll be that oppressive. I just think he'll be like a role player in that deck. So I I, I like a B. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so this next one is also very exciting. Uh, this is Dauntless Bodyguard. This is a white for a 2-1 human knight. As Dauntless Bodyguard enters the battlefield, choose another creature you control. Sacrifice Dauntless Bodyguard. The chosen creature gains indestructible until end of turn. So, boom. Like, Savannah Lions yeah. with pretty significant upside past turn one. Yeah, I mean, I, this is one of the cards that I read and I was like, all right, I think that, you know, this this Knight's deck definitely has some some footing to, to work with. Because this card on its own, you know, like... It doesn't even need to be a, a, a knight for this card to be, or like a knight's deck for this card to be effective. It's like, it's a 2 1 for 1, which is really good. So it's an excellent turn 1 play just because of the body that it represents, right? But, yep. you know, it even has something that plays pretty well with, for example, your Benelish Marshal. Like, if you play it uh, later in the game, you can, like, protect one of your kind of, like, more role player cards that you, you know, like like your Anthem dude or, like, any other guy that you think is going to be bigger or more important or something. And if you ever had just, like, have a big guy that is, like, needs to be double blocked at some point, like, I don't know how often that's going to come up in decks like this, but I can just see that happening maybe that's more of a limited evaluation but like if you if you play this guy later and like choose one of your bigger creatures and crunch in and your opponent was hoping to like double block or something then they're going to be in a really bad spot because you can yeah. just you know force that to happen and then sack this guy anyways so yeah i like this guy a lot i think that this guy is also going to exist in the format in in any of these white weenie decks yeah, uh, and also I think one of the weird plays that you're you're gonna want to make with it sometimes is uh, choosing smaller creatures with it because the bane of some of these white weenie decks is gonna be Goblin Chain Whirler that deals a damage to each of your your guys when it comes into play. This guy at least like can keep one of your other small toughness guys alive through that. But but yeah, all the other things you said, I think just powerful one drop that has relevance later on. I think it's a solid solid C or better. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm very excited about this guy. Uh, I think that this set is definitely giving, like, you know, maybe some mono-white deck, like, a pretty good footing for... Definitely. We've seen mono-white decks exist before, but we, we've kind of, like, gone more towards mono-red as being the default aggro deck of the format. There are still Pride of Conquerors mono-white decks, but I think that we're going to see more and more of that stuff uh, after this. Right. It definitely looks like it. Okay, so the next one is Board the Weatherlight. This is one in a white for a sorcery. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a historic card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So that's an artifact, a legendary, or a saga from the top five into your hand. Yeah, it's it's kind of, this is one of those cards that's really tough to evaluate because historic cards isn't something that we've like lumped together as much. Um, right. So I'm just trying to read it as like, you know, reveal five or look at five cards you get a artifact to legendary or saga but it just kind of depends on whether or not there's going to be any deck that just is stock full of that effect the one that springs to mind to me is cheerios is just legend i mean maybe it's not as good because you've only got four serams and pure steel paladin can't get found with board the weatherlight and this also costs two mana yeah um so you know maybe a different home for this will be better but you know it does dig five this is something that right i mean oh for sure like it's it's definitely a card that you can't really overlook because all the other cards that i can think of that were similar to this have seen standard play like the i'm blanking on the name of it right now it was played in the emerge decks 
to kind of like fuel the graveyard and oh, like um, dig for Elder Deep Fiends back in the day. Uh, something with the past, the one with the well on grapple, it. Um, grapple, grapple, past. grapple with the past, yeah. And then there was another one that if you had Spellmaster, you could get two. Yeah, the pack. Something, gather the pack. Gather the pack. Right, okay. So so grapple with the past and gather the pack are like similar cards to this. Um, and they they like works really well with the graveyard, so they had, like haven't had an additional push to like make them even better and playable. But right. that was a big um, just part the general of effect of yeah yeah for sure. The general effect of like digging for like good stuff is you know decently strong. It does it's not always going to see play, but it it could. I think that I would put this at a D. Yeah. D for D for standard, like low D for modern. This is probably too expensive for for modern. But five cards yeah. is a lot. And if there's a deck that specifically like its combo pieces are artifacts and legendary creatures, then this could be a thing. Right. Right. So next up, we've got Fall of the Thran, which is a saga. So it's five and a white. Step one is destroy all lands and. Two and three is each player returns two land cards from their graveyard to the battlefield. So it's an expensive Armageddon, and then at the beginning of your turn, you each get two lands back, and then on your next turn, you each get another two lands back. Yeah, this is it's such a strange card because the, the destroy all lands effect is definitely very powerful, and it's going to be most powerful against strategies like control that are really like trying to make their land drops pretty consistently every turn and on its own this card only gives you back four effectively right so you know any deck that's like really trying to lean on having a lot of mana available and that could either be like ramp decks or it could be like control decks this could be like a a pretty big uh probably a sideboard option for those but yeah um, if you push this through against like approach you're really resetting the game to a point where you know approach is weaker and and your deck is probably stronger not to mention killing any flipped search for Azcantas or whatever they've got weirdly enough this armageddon seems like a sideboard card yeah i i, I definitely think it's a sideboard card just because it's only going to be good against particular strategies like any sort of like aggressive deck yeah, isn't this is just trash care at all about this because they're just going to be able to operate on the two and then four lands that they get back when, when this the fall of the thran right. takes up or i don't know how we're going to describe that but <laughs> right um, i mean there's some some space for like exiling their graveyard after this you know with like the black saga or something like that but i think that's oh, probably true, just yeah. way, too, way too hard to pull off in real life so true, true. Uh, yeah there there were a few different ways that i thought about like playing this card when i first saw it one of those ways was like creature ramp into fall of the mm-hmm. thran because you know if you're if you're like you know ramping up with creatures and then you get to maintain those creature uh, mana sources and your opponent is then reset to zero that could be pretty strong the other good use is like if anybody's trying to play like an hour of promise true true this is really really good against the hour of promise decks so yeah it i think it pretty legit sideboard card if those matchups become important enough that you can dedicate sideboard cards to them in general, though, like, don't forget that this card costs six mana, and that's a lot. Six mana is definitely a ton, which is why I'm, you know, it's, it's definitely not an Armageddon by any stretch. But No, um, no, no. But it is But it has its place. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a reason we don't get that. Right. So, yeah, it's, this- it's definitely an interesting one. Uh, I, I would definitely recommend not letting, like, not forgetting about it and making make sure you remember it's a thing 
when like constructing sideboards or whatever for for white decks. Our next card is a saga that I think is much more clearly powerful. So this is History of Benalia. This is one white-white for a saga. One and two are to create a 2-2 white knight creature token with Vigilance, and three is knights you control get plus two, plus one until end of turn. I I think this card is fantastic. I think it's going to be like the backbone of a lot of these white, you know, go wide or aggressive strategies in in standard, and I think it's going to be really, really good. Yeah, I mean, it just gives these knight decks such a powerful tool to punch through, like, you know, a couple of turns after your opponent has hoped to stabilize or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you've, if you've got enough, like, you know, if you can, if you can make your deck all knights, then, you know, the, the third effect, I think, is actually going to be the most powerful on, on right. this card, which is giving your knights plus two plus one. And even if just a bunch of your creatures are knights, this makes two. If you've got, like, one or two more, that's a huge buff still. Yeah, doing that to just, like, three or four creatures is is definitely nothing to sneeze at. So that's a lot of damage. And both Dauntless Bodyguard and Benelish Marshal are knights. So yeah, if you're keeping right. track at home. So these are these are already a bunch of, like, really powerful knights that, we've, that we're taking a look at here. So Yeah, also, this gets you so close to the City's Blessing. This puts three permanents into play. If you're trying to, you know, I mean, you don't need Pride of Conquerors as much if you've got this thing ready to go, but, you know, that's also a thing. But just, like, being chock full with Anthem effects that just kind of, like, come for free, like, and I'm considering that, like, with a body, right? Like, you know, you don't want to put a ton of just purely Anthem effects in your deck. But Mm -hmm. uh, if your Anthem effects, like, come with bodies and stuff, then that's the point in which you can just start jamming as many of those as you can into your deck. As long as right. you still have a good curve, right? So that's what I think makes the 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 Benelish Marshal and the History of Benalia so good is that they're still creatures. So they're in your creature slot, and you can you know you can make sure that you've got enough of those. Uh, and it's just like an anthem that's kind of like tacked onto that, which makes it much much stronger in my mind. Yep. So I I'm gonna give this an A for standard. I think I think it's just very very powerful. Yeah, I can get behind that. I, I would I would give it an A. Um, cool. I just think it's going to be seeing play definitely a good amount in the first couple of weeks of Standard, just because people really like the powerful-looking aggro cards in the first couple of weeks of Standard. That's, like, a good place to start. It's, like, you know, while people are figuring things out, stay proactive, yeah. beat down. Very true. Um, and this feels like it fits that bill pretty, pretty nicely. Yeah, I'm into it. All right, next we've got Invoke the Divine, two and a white, instant, destroy target artifact or enchantment, you gain four life. So, fine sideboard card. I don't believe we... I I think this may be the best white disenchant, uh, unless you want the cycling one that exiles. But I believe that that one is a sorcery. I mean, don't quote me on that. Um, But, (laughs) you know, four life is a lot. So, I think this is just a fine sideboard card. Yeah, definitely a consideration. Like, if you're killing... If you're in, like, a matchup where they have Heart of Kirin, like, this is a great sideboard card for that sort of matchup. Yes, true, true. Yeah, any sort of, like, aggressive deck that kind of, like, relies on artifacts to to beat down or whatever, this is, I think, definitely going to be an excellent option in. Because you get the life gain in addition to the removal piece. Right, um, and if you want both, then, right. then thumbs up. Yeah, for sure. Four, four is just a lot. So, yeah, strong sideboard card. Not too much else to say about it. Um, yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's it for that one. Next one is Knight of Grace. Uh, one and a white, two, two, first strike. Hexproof from black, and Knight of Grace gets plus one plus O oh as long as any player controls a black permanent. 
so it's a knight, which is good. Uh, although I know I've seen a bunch of lists where people have been, you know, saying I, I think these two drops are better than Knight of Grace, even though I'm running History of Benalia. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure if people are quite properly evaluating how good First Strike is on these on a body when you've got a bunch of Anthem effects. Uh, you know, make this thing into like a. Uh, a 3-3 three, three first strike or a 4-4 four, four first strike, not even counting the fact that it might be getting plus 1, plus 0 oh if you happen to be black-white or if your opponent is playing black creatures. Um, I think this card is pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely on the lookout for knights, right? Because we, we've seen some knight synergy before in the history of Benalia. 2-2 two, two first strike for 2, sometimes a 3-2 is definitely going to be, you know, uh, okay. one of the better 2-drops that we're going to have access to. And you know there are definitely a lot of other two drops that we've got right now that are that are arguably going to be stronger. But you know the fact that this is a knight might push it over the edge a little bit. Yeah, and not dying to a fatal push or a moment of craving is just upside. That's fantastic. Um, I still wouldn't call this better than a C. Yeah, right. It's 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 going to be a a role player. I think mo- most of the time, it's not going to be. It's just going to be you know one of the filler like curve curve out slots. Right, you're not building your deck around Knight of Grace, for sure. Right, right, exactly. Next one is, I think, a little tougher to evaluate. So this is Lyra Dawnbringer. This is <laughs> three white-white for a 5-5 five, five, flying first strike lifelink. Other angels you control get plus one, plus one, and have lifelink. So Baneslayer Angel is back. It's been a little while. It has been a while. Baneslayer Angel, I, I didn't play any during that time, but from the stories that I've heard... Baneslayer Angel was just kind of like the bane of the format a little bit. It was just so easily the most powerful card on the battlefield all the time. We're in a new standard, and I think generally cards are more powerful, so it'll be interesting to see how this card kind of fits in with the the modern-day power level of standard, I guess you could call it. If nothing else, from from first glance, it matches up perfectly against red decks of like any size and composition. You know, Glorybringer is terrible against this. Chandra is terrible against this. Uh, Rekindling Phoenix is... I mean, I guess you can block it every turn or something like that. Yeah. But, like, it is very difficult to deal with this card if if you've got mountains. Uh, and that's that's a solid place for this card to be, at least, is, is very good at battling the red decks. Yes, yeah, it seems insanely good against the red decks. Because, you know, it's got five toughness, right? And all, it feels like all the things are dealing four or fewer damage these days like you've got chandra and glory bringer as like the cards that are supposed to be able to hit uh you know a bunch of stuff so yeah just the fact that it's a five five seems seems really really powerful there and the fact that this exists might be really detrimental to to the mono red aggro decks yeah because this is just a very easy card to at least put in your sideboard if you're a white deck and you're you think there's going to be some red decks that you might run into. Probably relevant in other spots. You know, like how does how do the current builds of tokens decks deal with a card like this? You got to try to like kill them before they can even cast this or something cuz that's that's a very real threat that's just going to outrace you. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, kind of looking at this card and, and some other cards, I wonder if there's, like, a green-white, you know, Llanowar Elf monsters-style deck, but instead of, like, playing red monsters, then you play, you could play, right. you know, this... Uh, Little Kid Green-White is a, a time-honored composition of cards. Like, yes, yeah, for sure. 
this is the kind of card that makes that a deck. Right. I mean, I definitely wouldn't mind this as a curve top or some sort of some sort of beatdown deck like that. Right. And that, you know, Baneslayer Angel had trinket text of protection from demons and dragons, which mm. basically never mattered because Baneslayer Angel could fight any demon or dragon that was constructed playable. The other angels you control get plus one, plus one, and have lifelink trinket text. That's not going to matter often, but when it does, holy cow. And there's at least, there's one angel that we haven't gotten to yet that, you know, may see play in the same kind of deck as this angel and curves into it really nicely. So, you know, this may be a thing. The fact that this isn't just Baneslayer Angel, it can potentially have an effect the turn it comes into play, which is an important characteristic of playable creatures in modern magic, yeah. uh, is is very cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see how this ends up lining up against the format. So you think like a, a B, and then there's a chance that like we're just, oh, like it just ends up being... The most played one of the most played cards in the format like one of the five mana format ending bombs right. like Scarab it could God easily be a glory bringer style card in my mind mm-hmm. I, I could easily see this just being like oh yep everybody's got their you know their three lyra Dawnbringers in their in their deck that's just kind of how it's going to be or whatever but the fact that it's legendary makes it a little interesting because you know normally you just want to slam as many as you can but right right um, the fact that it's legendary definitely makes makes things interesting here Unlike Glorybringer, where like going Glorybringer, exert on a guy into Glorybringer, exert on a guy is just like incredible. Like having this angel in play, as long as it stays in play and is fighting, like you probably aren't losing. So uh, right, yeah. being legendary probably isn't a huge drawback. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. So our next card, a uh, little less powerful, but probably also going to see a ton of play. Uh, seal away one in a white. For an enchantment with flash, when Seal Away enters the battlefield, exile target tapped creature and opponent controls until Seal Away leaves the battlefield. Yeah, so it, it's it got the tapped text, right? It's a, you can only target creatures that are tapped, which adds an interesting element to a card like Seal Away, where generally it's going to be played by like control decks more often than like beatdown decks. Mm-hmm. Beatdown decks want to get their opponent's blockers out of the way. So this card isn't really going to see, isn't really going to be relevant in those spots. You know, if you're on the beatdown, then your opponent's generally not attacking other creatures. Yeah. Um, but in any sort of like control deck, Seal Away seems like a great addition to to that to be able to just like nab anything in combat or you know, in the end step after they've realized that they don't want to counter anything. Just kind of like however you want to do it. Um, but I, I do think it is important to note that it's it's going to be more of a like control player's card than an aggro player's card. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, you know, is much more something that, like, the Drakehaven or Approach of the Second Sun deck, decks of the world are, are looking for. Um, but I think it, it does have a couple of pretty cool characteristics, which is, you know, those decks started playing Baffling End because uh, they needed something at two mana, but kind of begrudgingly. Like, Seal Away deals with creatures of any size. Like, you can get a Glorybringer with Seal Away. Um, yeah, and for sure. And since you're probably not playing creatures that Glorybringer kills like they're not actually getting value out of the Glorybringer if you seal away it so that that's that's a powerful aspect of this card and also white decks have been forced to play like one in a white destroy target attacking creature this is a lot better than that because you don't have to have the mana up you can take a hit from the creature untap and cast this as an assassinate so I, I think this card is really good and also goes particularly well with the new Teferi the blue-white planeswalker 
because it's plus one untaps two of your lands, which is exactly enough to cast this seal away against whatever's attacking Teferi. True. Yeah, Teferi is definitely a card I'm excited to talk about, and and it feels it feels like seal away is uh, goes alongside that one pretty well. So this is somewhere between C and B, probably closer to C, just because you're only putting it in these reactive control decks, whereas, you know, like, a braid is the kind of removal spell that, like, aggressive and reactive decks are happy to play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I expect it to be a role player, but it's not going to see play in every deck, so I think it's it's not quite a B in my mind. Uh, next up is Shalai, Voice of Plenty. So this is the one that you really want to curve straight into New Baneslayer Angel. This is yes. <laughs> three and a white, uh, three, four legendary creature Angel. Flying, you, planeswalkers you control, and other creatures you control have hexproof. And four green green, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Yeah, I mean, this this definitely looks like a, a pretty big powerhouse for you know whatever deck that we we end up putting these uh, the the bane slayer in so yep it it's it's a little awkward though because the three four flyer for four generally that's like pretty strong but if you kind of look at all of the other red flyers around the same mana cost um yes. it feels like this angel is going to not really win a lot of those fights because there's a four four flyer for four in red um, that just got printed in the set. It's like the new... I guess we'll probably end up talking about it next episode. But there's also the Phoenix at, you know, uh, a 4-3 flyer for 4, but the Phoenix kind of like has its own like re- reanimation thing built in. So I feel like, unfortunately, this card might end up losing a lot of like those fights in the air around this mana cost. Um, it's just going to be like, you know, just worse than whatever your opponent's doing. But as soon as you combine that with the the Dawnbringer, then it's winning all those fights. So that could just be an argument like for it again. But you know, having to rely on casting another kind of bomb card is not really where I want to be. But so. what what could be interesting is if the rest of your deck is quite good against the the types of decks that are playing Glorybringer and Chandra and Rekindling Phoenix. You know if if you've got lots of Lyra Dawnbringers and other cards that they struggle against, then you can afford to have a card like Shalai, which isn't great on its own, but then is very good when combined with some of them. The other things I like about Shalai are that the removal spells that actually kill her are for the most part the top tier removal spells that they want to be saving for your like really huge threats like Lyra Dawnbringer. Like if you play Shalai, they're kind of forced to Vraska's Contempt it which potentially leaves an opening for your gigantic haymakers like 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 Lyra Dawnbringer. If they don't, then it gives it hexproof. Uh, and, you know, Shalai, as a 3-4, is immune to a braid, is immune to most of the cheaper removal spells, doesn't die to the black, you know, destroy target non-legendary creature. So they've got to use their real kill spells on it, which hopefully opens up the door uh, for you to get something through. Um... One other spot that I like this as well is potentially as a one-of in Modern. It is a pretty sweet cord target if you can cord for it in response to a removal spell on one of your creatures. And then also is a, a powerful mana sink. You know, Gavany Township is a land, so the fact that it puts plus one plus one counters on your, your guys almost for free uh, is 
you know, the, the reason that card is good, but you know, this provides kind of a similar dimension and is also a sink for infinite mana. If it, you know that, that you can cord for like, you can't cord for walking ballista, although you can cord for, for dusk watcher curator. So, I mean, that's, that's silly. You always have something you can cord for to use infinite mana on, but you know, this provides like potentially another option for those types of decks. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you, you bring up a great point there and you know, let's not forget that this card is also effectively a, like a white ley line, um, which yeah. hoses a lot of decks. It's right, really right. tough for... You can, you can cord this out in response to Grape Shot for 20 on you. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, you know, Storm is definitely going to have a, a pretty difficult time with this. Burn is going to have a tough time with this in play. So it's definitely it's definitely got some some utility there in, in Modern as well. So um, I, I would yeah. not be surprised at all to see it kind of pop up as, you know, in, in some of these, some of these uh, cord decks for sure. Yeah. I would probably give this something around a... a a C in standard and then uh, between a, a C or a D in modern, maybe, maybe a C in modern as well. I can see this just being a very important part of those, those white green decks. I, I think it's just so good with cord that it gives you a, a dimension that, you know, like to put one of the guys that gives you hex proof in your main deck in, in modern is like quite a cost, but this, she might ha- give enough utility that you can actually slot her in if you want. And that's, that's pretty big game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and in, in like the Druid uh, Vizier combo decks, just like having another, like having this be your win con too could be pretty yep. strong. Yeah, just one more way to end the game with infinite mana. Definitely fine. And just causes a lot of trouble for, for the removal heavy decks. You know, they have to kill this first and Lightning Bolt and Fatal Push don't do it. So you might just be able to put this into play and make an, all their removal spells dead. Yeah, definitely. If, if they're on, like, mono-burn-based removal spells, that could be pretty pretty problematic for them. Yeah, definitely. So, next up we've got Teshar, Ancestor's Apostle. This is 3 and a white for a 2-2 flying bird cleric. Whenever you cast a historic spell, return target creature card with converted mana cost 3 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So, this feels like a combo engine that has the potential to be really broken, but I have no idea where this actually ends up. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, kind of like initially look, looking at it, the first thing I thought of was maybe there's some sort of, like, deck that can put a bunch of stuff in the graveyard and then cast, like, a bunch of really cheap artifacts or something to to trigger this a bunch. But, I don't know, it's kind of hard to tell, like, this being super exciting. And it's just such a unique effect that I don't think that we've seen before that it, it'll, it'll, it's kind of, like, hard to identify off the cuff like some it, archetype it's weird enough this. that Sam Black wrote an article about it, trying to put together combo decks with it, um, and most of his combos actually don't work because he sort of misread the card's trigger and and treated it as like a when a historic permanent comes into play under your control. Oh yeah. So you know, like like this is a weird and confusing card is basically the takeaway from that. Not that like <laughs> Sam Black is is a dummy or anything, because clearly he is not. But there's definitely infinite combos with this thing. There's definitely ways to break it. I, I, I think it's way too, getting way too far ahead of ourselves to say how this is going to be used. But I'm going to give this a solid speculative in both formats. Because uh, Modern has a lot of tools to make a card like this sing, but it may just yeah. never, ever see play. Right. 
And the fact that it's a 2-2 two -two is definitely a little awkward for that because, you know, just like any old thing is going to be able to kill it, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, you got to win the turn that this comes out. Right. So, you know, we, we're keeping an eye on it in terms of like maybe there's some crazy busted thing that you can do with it, but we'll have to yeah. we'll have to wait and see if that surfaces at any time. Yep. And not impossible that in standard it, it can be a, a decent value card. Like, play it, play a Mox Amber, get a guy back from your graveyard. Like, that's not impossible to be a thing. But right, also right. doesn't sound fantastic either. And last, we've got Urza's Ruinous Blast. This is four and a white for a legendary sorcery. So you can only cast it if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. Exile all non-land permanents that aren't legendary. So I don't actually think that this is playable. I think there's so many hoops and it might just leave legendary permanence on your opponent's side of the board. Also, you don't want wraths in your deck that sometimes you can't cast. So I, I'm not high on this card, but I'm interested to hear your take. Yeah, I mean, the situational wraths, like typically when, when, we, when I think of a situational wrath, it's like, oh, this isn't guaranteed to kill all of their creatures. Not, oh, I'm not guaranteed to be able to cast this card, you know? So, like, that's definitely, like, not having a guarantee of being able to cast a card is definitely something that I am would be wary about. Yeah. So I'm definitely, definitely not excited about that from this context. Yeah, I'm not into it. Not really interested. So that'll do it for white. So let's head over to blue. We're starting off in blue with a, a, a very interesting one. It's the yeah. Antiquities War. It's a, another saga, so it's three and a blue. The first two uh, lore counters give... You look at the top five cards of your library, you reveal an artifact card from among them, put it in your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So essentially, this card reminds me a lot of Tezzeret. Uh, in for this effect, because the plus mm -hmm. is look at the top five of your library, find an artifact, put it in your hand. So just kind of like an impulse for artifacts. And then this is where things get really crazy. For the third lore counter, it says uh, artifacts you control become artifact creatures with power and toughness 5-5 five, five until <laughs> end of turn. Yeah, which is other Tezzeret's ultimate. Right. So this this card, I mean, essentially is just Tezzeret. It's, it, you know... You, the the play pattern of plus plus ultimate on your Tezzeret or whatever it's it's a combination of blue black Tezzeret and mono blue Tezzeret but but right. I think right I think it works man I think this card is fantastic this I mean if you can build the right deck for this I think that it would be it's going to be super super busted and all you need to yeah. like we have a lot of ways in standard right now of just dumping out a lot of um, like treasure tokens or like servo tokens. There are a lot of things yep. that you can do to just dump tokens on the battlefield um, that are all artifacts. And and that seems like it goes really, really well alongside um, the third effect of this. Because if you have like just like four or five artifacts in play when this thing hits its third lore counter, that's a it's serious a damage. Yeah. Yeah. And And you could easily have way more. Like all it takes is like Cast a spell swindle on something. Yeah, like, right. Then you just... yeah. Then, and, I mean, and then your opponent is just going to die to this triggering its third lore counter. Yeah, so I'm into this. I, I mean, I don't think we can give it higher than like a C for a standard as a role player. Because it needs to be in, in very specific decks that have the artifacts. You know, you have to have enough artifacts that your impulses are hitting artifacts and that this kills them with artifacts. But in that deck, I think this is really powerful. Um 
This is also not impossible to be a thing in modern, because that that third is just very, you know, in modern it's very easy to get enough artifacts to make this do a thing. Like, this could be the, the grindy four mana card that Affinity wants, you know, where it's been playing Hazaret or something. Like, no matter how many Stony Silences they've got in play, if you make your Darksteel Citadels and everything else into five fives, they're gonna die when this goes off. So, I, I would also yeah, give this a D feels like in it. modern. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what people do with this card. I think that, you know, it's gonna definitely going to take some some tinkering and deck building, and it feels like a build-around-me card, right? So, it, you yeah. know, we might see a new archetype that's based around this card. So that's exciting. But, you know, yep. again, hard to hard to kind of, like, pin it down this early, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, so next up we've got kind of an interesting one. It's Arcane Flight. So this is a single blue enchantment aura uh, enchant creature, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and flying. So not actually that interesting, but very efficient. I'm, I, I, you know, I think that there are a few archetypes that kind of want this kind of effect. It's like we've seen the the blue white SRAM auras deck in standard have right. some success. It feels like it's kind of settled as like a tier two archetype, but this is just another card that feels like would go really, really well, kind of in that space. Um, yep. Just like having like a, a resilient guy or a hexproof guy, um, and being able to like suit him up seems seems pretty strong. Yeah, I, and I mean that's exactly where it goes. I can't really imagine it fitting anywhere else, but in there it might be you know the best of just a great cheap option that that works pretty well. Right. So and probably the, a- the biggest thing that jumps out to me about this is that it's just a really good rate, right? Um, yep. Plus one, plus one, is, and flying is something that we've seen for like two mana before, but. Um, now we've got like one mana, so yeah, I do like it. It's great on a bunch of guys. It's great on an Adanto Vanguard. It's great on a and an adorned pouncer or something. So yeah, this could definitely see play, but in one specific deck, and it's kind of a, a maybe. So that's like a C or a D. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm not gonna rate it very highly, but um, yeah, yeah. Next up, we've got Blink of an Eye for one and a blue. It's an instant. It has Kicker for one and a blue, so you can pay two or four mana for it. It says, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. If this spell was kicked, draw a card. I, I, is this a reprint or just like an effective reprint of a card? Yeah, it's an effective reprint of, of Into the Royal from uh, Into the Royal. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, tempo bounce spells are, are generally decent. Um, and, you know, if they can replace themselves, then they're kind of like undoing one of the drawbacks to bounce spells like that, which is the fact that it's card at disadvantage. So this kind of like, you know, gives you the ability to kind of break even on that front and still have the option for like a two mana tempo spell. Whether or not it'll see standard play is definitely interesting. If we're going to start seeing a bunch more mono blue decks, I think that this is definitely one of the better options for that, as long as Mm -hmm. those decks are relatively tempo oriented. I can definitely see the seeing play, but uh, it doesn't jump out to me as like super powerful right now. And it's not that different from what we already have. We already have one in a blue return a non-land permanent just without this this kicker, just with different upsides. And so, like, this having... This might be the one with the best upside, but it doesn't really change what we have access to in standard, so... Next up, we've got In Bolus's Clutches. So this is a six-mana enchantment aura. Uh, you enchant a permanent, and you control the enchanted permanent. And it says that the enchanted permanent is legendary. So essentially, yeah. it's a six mana mind control, essentially. But it also yeah. has well, the additional confiscate. Caveat. Or yeah. you can take 
Because you can take any permanent, which is which is definitely relevant. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You can take your opponent's like planeswalkers as well. So, ooh, or you can even take your opponent's sagas. That's interesting. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, your opponent takes out their saga and is ready for their ultimate, and you're just like, all right. So yeah, I mean, uh, you know, definitely a powerful effect. The the energy version of this card saw a lot of play in teamer energy back in the day. Confiscation coup. So. Mm-hmm. Sealing your opponent's stuff is definitely not something that we're, like, you know, we've, we've seen this recently in Standard, so we know it can be powerful enough. And Yeah, uh, and I think specifically, as, you know, this is one of the best ways to answer an opposing Scarab God, is yes. to make it yours. Right, um, I'll take that, thank you. <laughs> yep, I think as long as Scarab God is good, this is probably going to be one of the ways to answer it. It is expensive, but... You know, this is a powerful effect. If as long as we're in a format where people are laying haymakers on each other, you know, if people, if somebody's gonna play a Baneslayer Angel and you can just take it from them, like that's really good. It's a huge swing for sure. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this scene play in some sort of like mid rangey deck. Um, yeah. yeah. That once probably like a seed. I, I think I think yeah. Confiscate is pretty good right now. Yeah, wouldn't mind. Yeah, so after that we've got a Legendary Sorcery for 6 mana. It's 4 blue blue. Karn's Temporal Sundering. So it's a Legendary Sorcery, which means that you can only cast it if you have a Legendary Creature or Planeswalker. It says, target player takes an extra turn after this one. Return up to one target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. And then you exile Karn's Temporal Sundering. So, uh, yeah, a few things going on here. It's a 6 mana time walk, essentially with the additional text of you get to bounce a permanent to their owner's hand. Which is, it's interesting. It's so hard to evaluate these legendary sorceries because they're all kind of pretty situational and depend on you having a, a good creature in play already. So right. while this effect looks super, super strong, the fact that it's a legendary sorcery definitely makes me a little more uh, hesitant to, to think that it's going to be very good. Yeah, and I mean, time walks in general are, like, kind of situational. You need to be in a position where, like, like you're giving up all of your mana on one turn for another turn. So you need to be doing productive things with your turn that don't require you to have mana for them. You know, like, right. if you've got a couple of planeswalkers in play, a time walk is great. If you're attacking, a time walk is great. Um, but, yeah, to, to add another piece of situational requirement onto your time walk is not the best thing in the world like if 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 there's a deck that's just like a lot of planeswalkers and wants a time walk this is a great time walk for that kind of deck but that's right that's right, pushing sure. that's reaching um, yeah bit. and you know your time walks are already at their best when you have planeswalkers in play so mm-hmm. you know i guess this is kind of like shoehorning you into making sure that you've got that requirement or whatever if you've got a planeswalker in play, then casting this seems like a, a, a pretty pretty powerful effect because you, you're going to yep. get multiple activations or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, probably like a D. Like, I could see a deck in Standard that's just very into Karn's Temporal Sunder. We've got, in Teferi, we've got at least one very good blue planeswalker, um, and then you can probably find some more stuff to fit in there. Definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's, it's going to be probably around a C, potentially. Maybe more speculative. I'd probably, yeah, go with, like, a D. Yeah, so next up we've got Merfolk Trickster. So this is a blue-blue, two-mana, two-two Merfolk Wizard. Uh, it has Flash, and it says, when Merfolk Trickster enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. 
it loses all abilities until end of turn. So this guy, people are excited about this card because it's it's on rate for Merfolk's like even in the in the modern Merfolk deck. Um, mm-hmm. It's a two mana two two. It has flash, which is pretty good, honestly. And it just like has the additional text of tap target creature and opponent controls, uh, and it loses all abilities. I in terms of the modern Merfolk deck, I just don't know how much they want this effect. But I've heard from a couple of Merfolk players that they are excited about this card, and they'll they'll think it, think it'll see play, just kind of like to hit some utility creatures every once in a while. I I just personally am not terribly sold yet for modern, but. If there's some sort of mono blue tempo deck, this card is going to go excellently in that for standard, and it doesn't have to be yeah. Merfolk at all there. So, and it would probably um, be wizards. I'm, I'm definitely than more. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah, it's a wizard. So yeah, I'm, so, I'm kind of more excited about it for standard. If there's some sort of mono blue deck that people end up playing, like we've got, we've got a couple of pretty decent mono blue cards that reward you for being mono blue. So we'll see if that can kind of translate into anything. But this seems seems decent there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, it does seem a little more relevant for standard than to modern to me. And especially like talking about it for modern, you know, most cards that we look at and we think, oh, this could be modern playable, we do think about, like, they probably are only going to fit into like one modern deck because it's it's pretty rare that we get a fatal push or something like that. True. But that still is like a very, you know, as a one or two of in a Merfolk deck, like that's a very low impact on, on modern, even if it does see modern play, so... Because yeah. I, I don't think I will ever be sleeving up Merfolk myself, and I think most people <laughs> are in that same position. Right, right. Uh, I'd give it, I guess, a C or a D. Yeah, um, something like that. If if there is a blue deck that sees a lot of that, that it get, becomes really popular, I think it'll be a C in that deck. Otherwise, it's probably just going to be a D. It's more speculative yeah. than anything else. Makes sense to me. Yeah. So moving on, we've got another saga. This one is called the Mirari Conjecture. It's a five mana saga, four and a blue. The first lore is uh, return target instant from your graveyard to your hand. The second is return target sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. And then on the third, it says until end of turn, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it and you may choose new targets for the copy. Okay, so I don't actually think that this card is great, but it is probably my favorite card from the new set. (laughs) Nice. I, I just I just think that the design is so cool. I I think the art is incredible, and uh, I I do like the way that it works. Is it like you know it, it feels like it that's that third lore thing could could certainly be some sort of weird combo turn, not even weird combo turn. You're just you know casting cantrips and and obviously it would be great with rituals and stuff. But you know this costs five mana and it cut two turns after then you're allowed to have a combo turn. You know, this does actually feel like a pretty reasonable, like, way to get a bunch of value. You know, you pay a decent upfront cost of five mana, which is a lot, but you get a lot of cards out of this thing. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that if, yeah, if you're kind of looking at this from the perspective of it's, like, a pretty good value card, I agree. It's it's an insanely good value card. You're, you're getting two cards kind of off the bat as long as you have instants and sorceries in your graveyard. And then, you know, and then on the third turn, you can just kind of go ham on doing whatever you're trying to do, whether or not that's, like, some sort of combo or um, just, like, killing a bunch of dudes, you know? (laughs) Just casting Glimmer of Genius. Like, jeez. Yeah, that's pretty strong. 
But the the five mana cost, I think, is what, for me, is just going to push it out of standard playability yeah. or modern playability, yeah, I think unfortunately. It probably doesn't get there, just because yeah. five mana to do nothing, like, literally does not affect the board at all. Yeah. That's tough. Right. So so that, I think, for me, makes it uh, a bit too big of an ask to, to see mm-hmm. play there, but... So probably, like, I want to give it a D, but, like, more realistically, this is probably just an F. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think that I would give this one F. Yeah, so next up we've got a 2-mana two 2-1, two one, uh, one in a blue for a for a legendary creature. The card is Naban, Dean of Iteration. Uh, it's a, so he's a human wizard. So he says, if a wizard entering the battlefield under your control causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So this guy's kind of like a utility wizard, and he's definitely designed to go in some sort of wizard deck um, that has like a bunch of ETB triggers. You know, if we if we see a lot of like wizards and stuff that have a lot of good abilities, like maybe the next one that we're going to talk about, um, <laughs> I could I could potentially see this guy seeing play in some sort of um, wizard deck. Unfortunately, I just don't think that we're going to have enough tools in standard. For, for him to see a lot of standard play. He's more of like a... My, my instincts tell me that he's more of like an, an EDH or like a, a tier 2 modern uh, Probably. archetypical he does, card. He does let you double Snapcaster Mage, which is kind of cool. That is sweet, for sure. Uh, the but unlikely to be a... Must be pretty nice. That, that makes him much worse than another Snapcaster Mage. So. Right, right, right. So yeah, probably but, not good enough. And the way that the wizard deck in standard is looking, it's looking more like a... You know, something like a blue-red tempo deck, and the the wizards are mostly like off of like triggering off of your spells. Like there doesn't seem to be many like comes into play wizards, um, except for the next one. But that's that's not really enough to make this a thing. So yeah, so like potentially a D in standard, but most likely I'm, I'd be pretty surprised if we can find a shell for this guy in, in standard. Yeah, um, this this seems like the kind of card that if we do see somebody succeed with a deck with it him in it we, we you know you go ooh naban dean of iteration like, right yeah <laughs> right exactly so hopefully somebody breaks it and and comes up with a sweet wizard stick but we'll see yeah unlikely um, so next up we've got narumea master wizard it's a four mana three three so two blue blue for a three three with flash it's a human wizard when Narumea Master Wizard enters the battlefield, copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. He also says other wizards you control get plus one, plus one. So I think this is almost good enough as a four mana, three, three flash lord. And then that that additional like copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. I think that's quite, quite pretty oh, narrow. Sorry, pretty narrow, but the, the one reason that it's a little better than it reads is because the the way that the blue red wizard deck probably works um is the blue red uncommon uh wizard is is one a blue and a red for a 2-2 flying haste that whenever you play an instant or sorcery uh wizards you control get plus one plus one until end of turn which incentivizes you to put some number of ops or other like one mana cantrips in your deck which this actually is quite good with because this means that you draw an extra card when you cast it you know later in the game when you've got five mana so i think that's a reasonable upside to have on a card that you're like probably going to play in a wizard deck anyways so i think this this may 
obviously only good in a wizard deck, but maybe enough that it makes the deck seem to to start feeling like a thing when your cards are fitting together that nicely. Yeah, I so I think that as long as the 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 like the the more usable text on this card is good enough, like the four mana mm-hmm. three three for a wizard lord. As long as the four mana wizard lord is kind of like a a good addition to whatever deck you're playing, then I think that this is definitely going to see play there. And then like you know maybe late game you kind of have have the additional benefit of being able to copy a you know a spell that you've cast or something. Um, yeah. And but, I think like, the majority of the spells in the wizard deck are going to cost one mana. They're going to be sure, like magma sure. sprays or ops or something like that. So yeah. So yeah, I mean, I could definitely see it in in that context. I think. Yeah. A C. It only goes in the one deck, but I think I think it helps that deck be a thing. Right. And if you've got Nabon in play, then you get to copy it an additional time. Twice. Yeah. So you get three copies of it. So powerful. <laughs> now we're doing it. Yeah. And if it's <laughs> if it's like the lightning bolt or something, then. Uh, you know, the that's true. Damage. The lightning bolt costs one mana. If you, yeah, if you I have Nabon in play, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Perfect. <laughs> but legitimately, you know, there you go. You, you'll have other wizards in play when you cast Narumeha. Tacking on an additional lightning bolt when you have five mana as like it comes into play ability, like that's really good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think you're going to be super excited anytime you get to use the um, that that ability of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got precognition field. So this is three and a blue for an enchantment. It says you may look at the top card of your library. You can do this at any time. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an instant or sorcery card, and then it has three mana. Exile the top card of your library. So this is like the worst future sight possible, and I think <laughs> it's just not good enough. I, yeah. I think that this. Like like people are kind of pumped about it, or or at least like making noise. Um, I, I think that this is just not a playable card. I think this is a bulk rare. I yeah. I'm. I think the only time I would be happy to be playing with this card is in some like super grindy sealed limited deck. <laughs> yeah, with like twelve um, spells in it. With yeah, with a bunch of spells in it for sure. But you know, even like I could see somebody playing it even just for the uh, the the last ability of being able to manipulate the top of your library for three. True, mana. true, true. Um, That's not terrible as long as you can. As long as you have a few hits, yeah, yeah. In like a limited context, you're just only going to be drawing spells realistically. And as long as you you know you're casting one spell a turn, then you can just kind of sink the rest of your mana into filtering true. your library or whatever. But yeah, when, if we're talking about constructed stuff. I, I yeah. don't think it's strong enough. I'm not. I'm not excited. Next one is a little bit more more exciting though. Oh yeah. So next up we've got syncopate. So for those of you who don't know, it's uh, X and blue for an instant counter target spell, unless its controller plays X. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. So yeah, just like a blue X counter spell is mainly what we're looking at here, which is pretty strong. Yep, relevant on turn two, relevant later. One awkward thing is it is a counterspell that you cannot flash back with Torrential Gear Hulk. So that's that's definitely a, a drawback. True, true. Yeah, definitely definitely not a relevant interaction there. It's uh, it's going to be a little awkward with uh, with your Gear Hulks. But I think that it's going to be strong enough that it's going to be seeing play in, in some numbers anyways. It might not be your four of counterspell, but I you know it, it could be that strong anyways, just kind of on its own. Um 
but I, I definitely yeah. see it expected to see play in any any blue control deck. It's it's yep. just going to be a powerful tool. Good early, fine late exiles a thing if that matters. I think it's a solid C. We're going to see a bunch of this. Agreed. So next up, we've got Tempest Jin. So this is another one of the triple color cycle creatures. So it's triple blue for a zero four flyer. And it says Tempest Gen gets plus one plus zero for each basic island you control. So I'm assuming that on in your mono blue deck, you're going to have a three four flyer when you cast it. Um, and then for each land drop that you play after that, you, he's going to get bigger and bigger. So this guy has the potential to be a really large flyer for not a lot of mana. Three mana for a three four flyer is insanely powerful. And, and he's probably... Hopefully a four four by the time you're attacking. Yeah, when, yeah. right. He's going to attack as a four four most likely. You know, if you if you start just making land drops past that, then all of a sudden you're representing a huge clock. But he is very very limited by the deck that you can put him into. Yeah, he. It, it feels like you can really only afford to play him in a mono blue deck. So definitely. definitely limited there. But if there is a deck that you know can function there, I think that he's going to see. Uh, excellent yep. play and the other thing is that you know we've got enough artifacts in in the format that you know we might have like a blue artifact deck so our mana base can be like mono islands but we can still have like have a few extra cards to choose from or whatever so that could be a potential another like angle to putting them in a deck um sure but yeah the the requirement being that your deck needs to be all islands is pretty pretty clear i think yeah you do get to still run maybe a couple of field of ruins because those turn into islands um, but yeah, past that, like sure. you can't really run utility lands either. Right. Yeah, I, I don't love how badly it matches up against Chandra and Glorybringer and Rekindling Phoenix. Yeah. But I do like how well it matches up against them if you have a favorable wins in play. So maybe some sort of, you know, all flyers deck or something like that. Um, if you have like a, you know, if this card is just like your payoff card and it's much more important than most of the creatures in your deck then something like Siren Storm Tamer to help keep it alive might be really good. So I can definitely see a deck here. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, Favorable Wins is, would be an interesting place to start if we've got enough, you know, like cheaper flyers there. Yeah, but probably not so, better than like a, a D. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd probably give it a D. Be... You know, we're speculating on it. It has potential to be really powerful, but it needs to kind of find a home for it. Next up, we've got Tetsuko uh, Umezawa Fugitive. It's a 2-mana 1-3, so 1 into blue for a 1-3. It's a legendary human rogue, and it says creatures you control with power 1 or toughness, 1 or less, can't be blocked. So that's definitely an interesting, like, kind of, like, unique effect that we haven't really seen before. Typically with, like, you know, creatures you control can't be blocked, that's, that's typically, like, a tap effect for, like, a targeted creature or, like, a, a you know, a, a one-turn-only deal. But this guy just says, nah, man, creatures you control with power or toughness one or less are just unblockable. Could be could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any home for it right now. You know, if they're, you know, if the next set or a set at some point has a theme of, like, saboteur creatures, like a bunch of small creatures that do something when they hit your opponent and a bunch yeah. of them have, like, one toughness, you know, like, that this could help enable that sort of strategy. Yeah. Or um, there was a... You know, there was a, a keyword way back in the day that was Prowl, which is when a rogue 
hits your opponent, then you could cast some spells for cheaper that have additional effects. Uh, this would be a really powerful enabler for something like that. We don't have anything like that yet. Like, the only thing I can see it working with now is, like, I don't know, like, cards like Adorn Pouncer or something, where, like, three ones, you know, creatures with high power and one toughness. Um, I, I think this is very, very speculative, but yeah. it could be good at some point in the future. Yeah, the the red flags that go off for me on this guy is that he's kind of like a build-around-me card with the downside that if you don't have this guy specifically, your deck could potentially just not right. do a bunch. Like, if the rest of your deck is, like, you know, a bunch of, like, tiny duders or whatever that aren't normally lining up well against what your opponent has going on, then, you know, if you don't have this guy specifically, then you're, you know, you're going to need some sort of other ways to to make sure your guys are good. Right. Um, so definitely some some like deck building traps to make sure that you're avoiding there. Yeah. So maybe a maybe a brawl commander more than anything else. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. So um, probably an F, but there's a chance. Probably an F, but yeah, we can we can give it a D minus maybe. Sure. So next up we've got unwind, which is a three mana instant counter target non creature spell. Untap up to three lands. So one way to look at it is, is that it's a free counterspell for non-creature spells. So like a free negate. But it, you do need the three mana sync. And ideally it's only going to be good when you've like got other stuff to do as well. So you kind of like want it in a deck that, you know, can, can do that. And then, you know, like have some sort of like draw, like card draw or just like something else to use your mana on. So I it seems like fine, this- but... This is yeah. worse than negate. I think I would ha- rather have negate in a lot of situations, just because it it only costs. I only have to leave up the two mana. Right. Right. Yeah. The difference between two and three mana is pretty big with this effect, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, one one place where it is kind of interesting is like in a control mirror, and then you get to use your search for Azkanta an additional time, even though you spent some mana. Oh yeah, that that is a good one to to be able to redo. It, it, it's pretty narrow and honestly like i'm not sure that that's even great because like in control mirrors you bring in negates because they're excellent and that one additional mana may mean that you're not able to win a counter war that you were able to win you know if there were a big turn with like like several spells on the stack and negate might be better on that turn uh and this might give you less flexibility yeah so because when it comes to those counter wars Unwind is effectively just another three mana counter spell because you know things are going right. to be happening while Unwind is on the stack, and while Unwind's on the stack, you don't have your lands untapped. Yep. So it's, I I think most of the time I would just rather have negate. I mean, one you know like if you can get them to cast a, a removal spell on your turn, and then you get to unwind it, and then you get to play another creature, like that's that's something. But like if you're negating their removal spells. Like you're already doing well most of the time, so right, uh, right. I, I think negate is is usually what you're gonna want over this thing. Might be a little win more, yeah. But basically, we'll see. Next up, we've got Wizard's Retort. So one blue blue for an instant, uh, but the spell costs one less to cast if you control Wizard. So if you have a Wizard, it's just blue blue counter target spell. Otherwise, it's a cancel essentially for a counter target spell for one blue blue. Seems pretty reasonable in a wizard deck. At least a great sideboard card in a wizard deck, if nothing else. Yeah, I'm for sure. I think that 
it, I'm going to be surprised to see this in like a lot of main decks or anything. Uh, aside from the fact that maybe it's just some some blue decks are out of three mana counter spells, like you know, and maybe once we rotate, this is just kind of like the default cancel. Because cancel is just fine. Cancel sees play in standard a bunch. You know, if that's kind of like the best counter spell that you've got that you have access to. So I could definitely see this just kind of like have it being that slot as like being a cancel and like the, the wizard text doesn't come up in, in, in those decks that it's running in. But yeah, I mean, if you are a wizard deck, then I can also see you being able to benefit from running actual counterspell, which is, you know, pretty neat. Yeah. Good yeah. Card so it sounds sure. like a, a, a D-ish to me, but it might be a C. Like if wizards, like if this is one of the things that's very important to them, like it could just be quite good. But yeah, only yeah. only really in that deck is it going to be like good, good for sure, for sure. So next up we've got Zahid Jin of the Lamp. So it's a six mana five six flyer, um, but it also says you may pay three and a blue and tap an untapped artifact you control rather than pay this spell's mana cost. So you're either paying four mana and tapping an artifact, or you're paying six mana for a five six flyer. So I think that this guy's kind of just designed to be like a, a, a really big cheap body in some sort of artifacts deck, which, you know, could be could be decent in, in some some areas. The five six body lines up really well, it feels like, against pretty much all of the other flyers. It feels like this yeah. guy's just gonna be the biggest flyer. Yeah, if, it's if, it's good against I mean, you know, like it's good against Glorybringer. They have to choose whether to exert or not, and then you get to decide whether you wanna trade or just kill them back with your with your five six yeah, um, yeah it also comes down before glory bringer comes down uh it beats rekindling phoenix in combat it just doesn't die to very much like like this is one of those cards that you need the vraska's contempt or uh, like ravenous chupacabra type of removal to kill it you need to be spending four mana on it and if you're playing this card it only costs you four mana to cast i think it does a really nice job of bridging that gap between um, Maverick Thopterist and the like, the the big improvised payoff of, of the demon, it, it like gives you one more reason to be in sort of an improvised deck, and that might be enough to to make that a thing. So I I, I think this this card is definitely going to find a place. I, I think this is just a lot of power and lines up well against much of what's going on or much of what has been going on in the format, but. Five six flyer is just so big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that this might be another card that we we could see seeing play in a, a similar deck to like the Antiquities War deck, where you're you know mm. you're you're just playing like blue artifacts, right? And you know want want some sort of effect there that's pretty strong. And you know if we could even see Tempest Gin in the same deck, where if our artifacts deck happens to be mono blue, right? That's just probably yeah. going to be a good card to to play there. Um, just like, you know, we're playing these like oversized flyers for three and four mana could be pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm just a big fan of this card. I think, you know, he is limited. You need to have the artifacts. So that certainly keeps him from being absolutely everywhere. So probably something like a C, but I think in the decks where he, I think he will make decks exist that did not exist before. Like, like that improvised strategy that just never quite got there. I think it, this guy might push that into playability. Yeah. And that, that wraps us up for, for blue at the moment. Starting black off, uh, with kind of a bang. We've got Cast Down as our first black card. Oh, yeah. This is one and a black for an instant destroy target non-legendary creature. So that 
I, that's just good. Straight up great. I mean, the, the format could get to a place where most of the important creatures are legendary and, and this becomes less what you want. But, you know, our, our removal that we have is kind of limited. You know, the cheaper removal often doesn't go up the chain very well. You know, like Fatal Push, kill small creatures. Moment of Craving, kill small creatures. And, and that's kind of where we're at. But Cast Down kills an Earthshaker Kenra that's attacking you, and it also kills a Glorybringer. And it's yeah. kind of the only spell. But we don't have a spell yet that does that. There's another one coming up in Dominaria, but this does that, and that's quite good. Yeah, I mean... It, this card is going to be excellent against pretty much all of the big haymakers that have been in standard leading up to now, like Glorybringer. Just not Hazaret and Scarab God, but... Uh, but it is important to note that a, a majority of the cards that we've talked about so far in blue and white have been legendary, that have, like the creatures sure. that we're like really excited about, right? So that's you know that's good to note, and it's also important to note that like the, the number one creature right now in... in standard is the scarab god which is a legendary creature as well so i right. i think that this card is going to be good as like a you know a, a solid i think it's going to be solid b like i think it'll see play but it's not going to be it's not going to be that insane of a removal spell where it can just hit anything it's it's not quite you know kill any creature right. for two mana there are real downsides to it for sure and we're in a place where you have so many options for black removal spells you just want to be carefully choosing the ones that you know give you the best assemblage of answers to the threats you're likely to play against and i think for a lot of the time like cast down is going to give you that huge flexibility of being able to kill you know good good some good five mana creatures and also just cost two so you don't mind pointing it at the two mana threat but you know stuff like you know it doesn't kill carry zev it doesn't kill lyra dawnbringer it doesn't kill there are things that it doesn't kill that you are going to want to kill so it's those you have to be very careful when you're choosing between like the eight black removal spells that you could run yeah for sure and it'll be another card that will be easier become easier to evaluate once we kind of like have an understand of the general threats that we're going to expect to see and you know if the general threats that we're expecting to see are like you know, the like the white weenie guys where they're all just like a bunch of dudes and you want to be able to kill something efficiently, then yeah, this card's gonna be great. But if the threats are all gonna be like ramping up into Liar Dawnbringers or, you know, Scarab God or kind of like whatever, then this prob probably isn't gonna be what you're looking for. So I think time will just tell on this guy. Next one is probably less clearly playable. This is Dark Bargain. Three and a black for an instant look at the top three cards of your library, put two of them into your hand, the other into your graveyard, Dark Bargain deals two damage to you. So I think most of the time this is just worse than Glimmer of Genius. Uh, and I think very few non-blue decks are gonna care about having like an instant speed card drawing card, but we don't get instant speed card drawing cards that much and this is one of them. So I think it's it's worth a look if you're in a deck that, that might want something like that. Yeah, I mean, if we end up seeing some sort of, like, black-white removal spell-heavy, like, control deck, then I could see this, like, them wanting access to a Glimmer-ish effect. But, mm -hmm. yeah, this is just kind of, like, Glimmer of Genius, but not as not as good as Glimmer of Genius. It, it does potentially go really well into one of the several, like, five-mana spells that can reanimate a creature. Like, if you put, like, a you know, a, a Scarab got into your graveyard with this and then play a, a Liliana 
and then bring back Scarab God with it. Like that's that's quite a sequence. But you know, you you're probably just playing Glimmer of Genius in any Scarab God decks that wants card drawing. So yeah, I, I think that I would probably give this guy like probably an F, but maybe a D minus. Like maybe maybe there's some deck that wants to see this effect. Yeah, that's I think not it's blue, mostly but an F that you like stay aware of the fact that it's legal in the format because yeah, there's yeah, yeah. there's going to be some deck at some point where it, it needs black card drawing and this is what you got for sure for sure next up is demon lord bells and lock this oh, is yeah. the big bad of the set i think <laughs> so he is uh four black black for a six six legendary creature elder demon he's got flying and trample when Demon Lord Belzenlock enters the battlefield, exile cards from the top of your library until you reveal an until you exile a non-land card. Then put that card into your hand. If the card's converted mana cost is four or greater, repeat this process. Demon Lord Belzenlock deals one damage to you for each card put into your hand this way. So he's a six mana six six flying trample that he draws you a spell and you lose one life. And if that spell was expensive, you get another shot at drawing a cheap spell until you draw a cheap spell. It's a cool design, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that we've seen any like any effect like this quite before, where you know if it's like a if it's a expensive spell, then you get to keep going. And you know, so potentially you could. I think realistically, you're only ever gonna draw two or so cards with this. And you probably shouldn't even right. bank on two. But if you ever hit like multiple cards off of this, that it seems like it's super, super busted. Yeah, like if you if you draw Vraska's Contempt and then something else with it, like that's that's a yeah. lot of value. You can just hit Scarab God, Vraska's Contempt, and then like smaller removal spell, and you're super excited about that. That's yeah, insane. That would, that would be nuts. Yeah, also pretty sweet to like bring back with a Scarab God, you know? Like he's got a powerful comes into play effect, like Scarab God draw I guess you don't need to draw oh. cards once you're Scarab Godding. I don't know, maybe that's not great, but Yeah, cards in your hand once you have Scarab God in play and a bunch of stuff in the graveyard is you know, not not yeah, nearly as good as they could be, but <laughs> Yeah, so I don't really know where to put this card. It seems like maybe these sorts of cards are just not good enough while we have access to the Scarab God. Like, would you put this card in your deck if you could just run a Scarab God in that slot instead? Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, so, right, that's the biggest concern that I have for this guy in Standard, is that he, it's it's really powerful effect, I think it's going to be pretty strong, but it's like, it's not the Scarab God powerful. So, right. you're, you know, your slot for just, like, big game-ending finisher is kind of pretty spoken for, it feels like, at the moment. Right. So And also for, like, big value guy, like... Gear Hulk is just better to yeah. cost six mana, and it probably just has a much more devastating effect on the game most of the time. Right. So maybe in some like non-blue black deck, it could be you know super powerful. But outside of that context, I think that there's just going to be some better options. Unfortunately, maybe there is a mono black deck. We do have a new weird Cabal Coffers, but I think right. probably that is unlikely to work out. But you know, it's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, this guy kind of feels like a, a D to me. Yeah. It's it's a definitely a powerful card. I just think that given the context of what else we've got going on in the format, it's probably going to be relegated to, to D status. Next up, we've got Divest, which is one black for a sorcery. Target player reveals their hand. You can choose an artifact or a creature card from it. That player discards that card. I think this card's okay. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen ourselves in spots where we, we've played... What was the other 
take a creature out of your opponent's hand. Despise. A uh, harsh scrutiny. Harsh or, scrutiny. It's the that's the one that you um, scry one. Yeah. So right. So we've seen that like effect exist before, and we've definitely seen times in standard where we've really wanted that kind of effect, where like. You know, all right, we need to be getting our opponents, Scarab Gods and Hazarets and Glory Ringers out of their hand, right? So so I, could, I can see the, the format playing out in a way where this is like a sideboard card that people want access to. But, you know, it's it's definitely not nothing more than just like a potential sideboard option. So I think that I would I would give, give it like a, a speculative sideboard rating. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, it was very frustrating if you harsh scrutinied somebody and they have like a vehicle in their hand and no creature is like pretty pretty awful and this at least solves that situation but yeah it's it's just you know it's one of those cards that like if you don't have good answers to glory bringer like this may be a way of like heading off that thing from happening to you but yeah not a great card so yeah okay yeah. sideboard card potentially oh one thing that i i do want to mention that we didn't say about cast down um is we didn't talk about potential modern implications i don't think there are like huge modern implications but i think this might be the like terminate analog that abzan runs uh, whenever you actually want to play abzan sure the kind of the only thing it doesn't i mean it doesn't kill thalia but abzan like you know the right strategy is often to not kill the thalia don't unlock the thalias in their hand and also thalia doesn't kill you that fast the the main creature doesn't kill it that you want terminate for is is tassiger which can be not great, but other than that, you know, this mostly is Terminate for decks that can't pay for Terminate, so. Yeah, maybe, like, the blue-black control deck in Modern would want sure. this over whatever other one they've been running. You just kind of have to do, like, a threat assessment and see, of all the cards that we're trying to kill, you know, which of these cards kills the most of those. And I think that this is probably that card for Modern right now. Like, it doesn't hit Tassigers, it also doesn't hit Thalia as a potentially annoying card, but it hits everything else, so. Yep. So, probably fine. Alright, and next up we've got Dreadshade. This is black, black, black for a 3-3 shade, and has black, Dreadshade gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So kind of um, a classic shade design, but really yeah. like pushing the the mana cost to power and toughness ratio and, and really like doubling down on like have all black mana to make me good. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if there is some sort of mono black deck, then... Then this might not even go in it, you know, because <laughs> it's this... not really a control card. <laughs> right, right, um, right. Yeah, I mean, this card, you know, if you, if you attack your opponent with just four swamps open... Then they're they're you know their block options are going to be pretty poor most of the time so um, right definitely That's interesting true. there yeah if there's some sort of like like medium speed like mono black aggro deck I mean we do have like a fake cabal coffers as well in, in some sort of deck but yeah this goes in like a very short list of decks and they all are mono black and it's been a very long time since we've had a mono black deck so uh, the the odds that you know the stars aligned to this thing being playable are not super high. Yeah, yeah. I've I've lower expectations of this card than I do kind of 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 any of the other cards in the same cycle, like the tri triple colored three drops that we've been seeing. But maybe because those other ones you sort of cast them and they do their thing, and right. this one this guy's just kind like, of like a, a a big threat on his own, but it's like an additional mana sink later. Um, right. You know. So. So. Eh, win some, lose some. All right, next up is the Eldest Reborn. 
So this is an uncommon saga. This is four and a black. Uh, number one is each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Number two is each opponent discards a card. And number three is put target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. You know, this is not... You know, you're way overpaying for that first edict effect. But to me, this seems like uh, just a, a pretty powerful way to get quite a bit of value in sort of a mid-range mirror or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking as well. If, if there was some sort of, like, black mid-range value strategy and there was, like, a lot of that and you really wanted something for the mirror to, like, you know, be a three or four for one or something... This is definitely one of those cards that, you know, if mm -hmm. you can get decent value out of each of these triggers, your opponent sacrificing a creature, planeswalker, them discarding a card, and getting a dude back. Like, if all of those are relevant, then this becomes a pretty powerful card advantage engine. But outside of that, like, yeah. pretty specific scenario where it's it's probably going to have to be some sort of mid-range mirror because, you know, this isn't going to be great against any sort of aggressive strategy, then, you know, so it's a little narrow, but I, I, could, tec I could technically see it seeing play if, if that was kind of like the circumstances of the format. And it would have to be like a mid-range mirror. So like one of the big problems I see with it is even given those constraints, like if the mid-range decks you're worried about are running Whirler Virtuoso, or if they're green so they have Llanowar Elves, then that's really going to reduce the value of that first part of the saga. And if that's not getting, you know, a creature or a planeswalker with a reasonable mana cost attached to it, then this becomes a lot worse. Yeah, definitely. But in the scenarios where they, you know, you played a, a haymaker and they played a planeswalker that kills your guy, and then you play this to kill their planeswalker back, then, you know, this becomes pretty decent. So, but that is a pretty specific narrow circumstance, which I think sets this up. Probably a D. Yeah, probably a D. I agree. But it, like, we might look at the back of this later and just be like, yeah, this was enough. But, you know, I think that yeah. we're okay to speculate on it for now. Next one, totally different kind of card. This <laughs> is f Fungal Infection. This is one black for an instant. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Create a one, one green Saprolane creature token. So I actually um, like this card quite a bit. Um, I yeah, think it me has, too. I think it has more utility than people might expect. Um, I think it's going to be an excellent card in the limited format. Just like having the combat trick that comes with the body is always nice. But even, you know, like, it could be a sideboard card against some sort of, like, white weenie strategy or mono red. Like, any, if it, you know, if the, if the format turns out where there are a couple of decks that have, um, you know, a bunch of X1 creatures, like, this is... A, pretty much going to be a two-for-one a lot of the time for one mana. Um, yeah, and it's so cheap. Yeah, one mana is... You know, if you kill... If, if you're playing against a deck where creatures you want to kill have one toughness, yeah. this is just great. Right. Like, and th it doesn't even necessarily need to be the scenario where they're attacking you with a Bomat Courier and an Earthshaker Kenra, but, like, that's not an uncommon start. Yeah, if you can set that up, then... Um... I definitely think that this has potential to be a, one of the more powerful, like, anti-aggressive cards. Yeah, Could be it, it just shuts shuts that early game down. It, like, undoes the first two turns of a lot of a lot of aggressive decks, and that's really powerful for one mana. Yeah, definitely. But again, you know, it, in order to evaluate it fully, I think that we're going to need to, you know, have a better understanding of what the format kind of looks like and breaks out to be. But it's definitely a card that you should not be forgetting about. Yeah. And, you know, it, it also is basically a shock for an attacking creature. You know, if you need yeah. a Slash of Talons, like, this does that. So, 
it, it, it has a fair amount of utility if you know they're going to be attacking you. True. So, you know, something like a, a C or a, a, a D or something, but, like, this is a card that has, like, a very high upside in the, the matchups where it is good. I, I think it will see play. I can guarantee that this will see some amount of play in, in certain matchups. Yeah, I believe it, for sure. So next up, we have Josu Vess, Lich Knight. So this is two black-black for a 4-5 legendary creature zombie knight with menace. And it also has kicker of five and a black. So, you know, baseline, this is a four mana, four, five menace. And if you're up to 10 mana, when Josu Vess, Lich Knight, enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, create eight, two, two black zombie knight creature tokens with menace. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of zombies. It's a lot of mana, too. Uh, right. So, essentially, it's a four mana, four, five with menace, or it's a... 10 mana, 4-5 with Menace, with an additional 8 two twos with Menace. Yep. And that'll get an opponent dead real quick. But that's, 10 mana that's pretty is lethal. a bunch of mana. Yep. The one thing that I'm kind of, you know, looking at a little bit for this is that there is an Hour of Promise ramp deck that exists right now that gets up to 10 mana not terribly infrequently. So this could be just like, you know, one of the cards that you might want to have access to off of your, like, tutor package or whatever. Just like, you know, 10 mana sure. instant board state. Yeah, and I'm actually pretty high on those ramp decks because you get to supplement your Hours of Promise with Gilded Lotus now. So you have a real, like, you're guaranteed a big ramp spell oh, on yeah. turn 5, kind of. Um, right. So, and, you know... Gilded Lotus is going to get you very close to casting a kicked Josu Vess. So that that could definitely be a thing. Also noteworthy is like this guy is a knight. So if like black white knights is a thing, then this body is okay for that. And if the game gets super late, then I guess this does it. <laughs> that seems not like a super likely use case for this card. Um, but yeah. it also, if there is... Uh, a mono black deck that uses that Cabal Coffers, this might be a, a payoff for having all of that mana and the body is not not embarrassing early on. I mean, a 4 mana, 4 5 menace is like, you know, that that rumbles reasonably well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, right, if there is going to be some sort of mono black payoff for that Cabal Coffers deck, uh, then this definitely seems one of, one of the one of the better options, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, like a D, but a pretty spicy D. Yeah. Yeah, whenever you see eight two twos, uh, that's on so a many. Card, you, you, you know, you gotta you gotta at least take a look at it. And they have menace too. They are very unblockable. Yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so next we've got Knight of Malice, one in a black for a two two human knight with first strike, hexproof from white, and gets plus one plus zero oh as long as any player controls a white permanent. So you know, if we're we're making a white black knight's deck, this is one of the reasons to do that. I don't know that that is a thing though. That doesn't seem super likely. Right. So this card is just like the exact copy of the the previous knight that we saw in white, but it's just you know this one is a black two two that has protection from uh, hexproof from white, which is actually kind of notable because black struggles to get like powerful two drop like white often has too many good two drops and black rarely has that problem if it's trying to be like pretty aggressive like a creature heavy deck so this this yeah. kind of creature doesn't come around that often in black uh right yeah so if there is a gonna be a black white knights deck this is definitely gonna be part of it uh i would imagine just because it's just a pretty good rate if yep. you have a white permanent in play otherwise you know 
Yeah. If it's, if it's not going to fit in an archetype that, that I'm, I'm fairly confident is going to want knights, then probably not going to see any play. Yeah, it's not as... Like, Hexproof from white is also significantly worse than Hexproof from black in the, you know, in the standard format we've had recently and the standard format that I definitely foresee. The decks that are casting white removal spells also tend to have access to, like, Wrath or Settle the Wreckage. The point removal spells from white wouldn't be aimed at this as often as, like, Fatal Push or Moment of Craving will be aimed at it. So, you know, Hexproof from from black is just a lot more useful on a creature this size. But, you know, I guess, like, it could be... I mean, it's a pretty anemic sideboard card as, like, a 3-2 first strike that's hard to hit with removal. Yeah, I, I don't see this being as good as the white one, just because the white one is, is likely to have more decks that it fits into. Yeah. So, D-ish, just because it, it, it's hard to picture a black deck that's really interested in this creature, I guess, unless we somehow end up in black-white knights and i i just don't think i i think that that deck to me screams mono white yeah and you want the the triple white creature and yeah. uh and you know if you're trying to play black as well in that deck then it seems pretty ambitious yeah pretty tough uh speaking of ambitious this next <laughs> card oh yeah got a spicy uh, lich's mastery three and three black so six mana for a legendary enchantment bizarrely rare and not mythic but that's kind of a theme for this set is like cards that are as complicated as one rarity get kind of shifted down one there's a lot of uncommons that are definitely rares in any other set this one seems like a mythic but it is a rare this is lich's mastery legendary enchantment it has hexproof you can't lose the game whenever you gain life draw that many cards Whenever you lose life, for each one life you lost, exile a permanent you control or a card from your hand or graveyard. When Lich's Mastery leaves the battlefield, you lose the game. So, basically it turns killing you into this sub-game where if you gain life, you draw cards. If you would lose life, like you still lose life, it just doesn't matter. But basically each damage they deal to you like is going to take a card out of your hand or graveyard or from in play. And then once you run out of those, you know, one of the triggers is going to eat the Lich's Mastery and you die. So I, I think this is probably just too hard to use actually in Constructed. But like there's a bunch of like really powerful text lines on there. So, you know, I, I guess I would leave it up to more crafty brewers than myself to break this card. Yeah, I mean, as I feel like as long as you have a healthy graveyard, having this card in play is going to be a huge, huge boon. Like, if you have 20... Like, you can almost view your cards in your graveyard as, like, almost your life total, right? Yeah. And then only when that's out do you really start, you know... Losing cards from your hand or permanents right. on the battlefield. True, true. So, like, if you have twenty cards in your library in, in your graveyard, though, then it's like you have effectively twenty life to work with, and you're drawing extra cards whenever you're gaining life. I'm assuming that you're going to have a bunch of gain life stuff in a deck that contains Lich's Mastery, right? And um, even small stuff like Moment of Craving becomes a draw too. Like that's really good, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but whether or not like it's possible to make a deck out of this, yeah. it feels much more difficult. Just because you you need a bunch of incidental life gain on just, like, cards that are decent on their own, I feel like, anyways. Because you don't really want to be banking on drawing your Lich's Mastery for your deck to do anything, right? So I'm right. assuming that it would go in some sort of, like, white-black mid-range deck. But then, like, if you ever land this, then you just, like, incidentally have a bunch of life gain stuff. Yeah, I mean, Moment of Craving and Vraska's Contempt are, are quite a bit. For sure. And there are a lot of incidental life gain cards, it feels like. Yeah. 
which is good. Yeah, it's just kind of tough to tell what kind of shell this would go best in. Maybe as like a sideboard card for like for, vampires, uh, it could be a thing. Or uh, uh, as a sideboard card to bring in against approach, if they're, oh. they're still relying on that as their main win condition. Well, they actually still win the game if they will resolve an approach through Lich's Mastery. Is that how it works? But you lose the game. Yeah, I guess because other cards like this say you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. So I guess right. that they can still it's, win the game. The, the, the rules to this are pretty complicated. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure what I'm about to say is correct, but it's definitely worth double-checking me on this. The game ends in one of two ways. Uh, the game ends because a player loses the game, or the game ends because a player wins the game. Right. And this only stops one of those. Just because I can't lose the game doesn't mean that you can't win, and then the game is over. Right. Yeah, that um, sounds right. It, especially because Platinum Angel says you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. This is very different text from that. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. right. I think that all, all of those effects will still end the game through a Lich's Mastery. Yeah. Um, I'm fairly confident. Yeah, alternative win conditions probably will. Yeah, I think you're right. So, not, not a sideboard card for that, certainly. Uh, I don't know, just very interesting text. Like, but you're not going to be taking much damage out of that deck, so maybe it's great, you know, and you can just, yeah. like, bury, bury your opponent with card advantage with Could the be. Like, with imagine, the game. imagine casting Battle at the Bridge with this in play. That's just... Whew. Yeah. That's just better Sphinx's revelation. Yeah. And, ki like, kills a guy. Like, good lord. So... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And, and then, you know, you draw more cards, and then that fuels this thing. I don't... I have no idea where this goes, but it is a... And it does cost six mana, but that is a like it's a pretty powerful text box. I don't really want to give this a letter grade because whatever I give it is going to be wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, who knows? It could be, yeah, it could be a bunch of stuff. I think yeah. that not so far. It's much more likely to be an F than it is to be an A. But right. other than that, but I you know I wouldn't mind speculating on it. So yeah. maybe a D is the right grade. Yeah, it's just we got to see how this plays out. Yeah, for sure. Next one is Phyrexian Scriptures. So this is a saga for two black black. Uh, number one is put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature. That creature becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. Number two is destroy all non-artifact creatures. And number three is exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. So this is kind of a suspend one, like, wrath slash tragic arrogance kind of thing like you get to keep at least one creature and then it, it reminds it, me a little bit of dune blast yeah dune blast was this big seven mana destroy all creatures except for one of your choice kind of deal mm -hmm. and this kind of like has a similar feel to that card as you get to save a guy everything else is gonna die normally yeah um, although notably if you have other artifact creatures it, they, they don't die to this and also if your opponent is playing artifact creatures they don't die to this either I, I'm not thinking of too many, you know, like Scrap Heap Scrounger and Bomat Courier are, I guess, like the main artifact creatures that I've seen play so far. So I'm not sure what else, you know, we've got. I don't think we have too many in this set. So that's probably not a big deal that it doesn't destroy their artifact creatures, but it may be something that you can exploit somehow. True, true. You know, and we've also read The Antiquities War, which feels like it's gonna, it might bring a artifact deck to into standard if there hasn't been one already true so you know maybe maybe the this will be like a sideboard card or something for 
or just like you board it out against the artifact decks, but it, it does seem pretty powerful. The way that I see this playing out the best is in like it's it's another one of those cards that feels like it could be good in like black mid range mirrors where you have like a threat that you want to keep or whatever, but your opponent has might have a couple of things. Sure. So it's just kind of like a card advantage card at that card at, at that point. Yep. Um, and you know, exiling your opponent's graveyard, it's not irrelevant. You know, if they if they have scared god or something. Oh, totally. It can uh, it can definitely you can, you can use like you can destroy the scarab god on the turn that this is about to trigger or something like that or yeah. like in your opponent's end step. I mean, this seems totally fine in the like against the mid range blue black decks or against the mid range like Grixis decks. Like you'll get a couple of guys and then you'll make sure to clear their graveyard out. You know, you still have your graveyard that they could get with a Scarab God, but it certainly makes things right. more awkward, and you can probably get multiple creatures with it. I guess Gear Hulks are the other like main artifact creatures that see play. This does not destroy Torrential Gear Hulk, so True. that's that's True. something to keep in mind for sure. But I mean, and also like like Black is very short on Wrath effects. You know, Bantu's Last Reckoning is not a good card, and so past that, you know, all you have is stuff like Golden Demise. You don't have any. At any mana cost, you don't have, like, destroy lots of creatures. So this might just sort of fill that hole in decks that want some sort of sweeper that doesn't depend on the creature's size. You know, might enable blue-black control to have an answer to things that it had a hard time answering before. So that's that's a spot True. where this could go, but you really... You want to have a creature in play before this is actually good, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, and it is also good to point out the fact that wrath effects with a suspend effect are generally, you know, not not going to be nearly as good because you uh, your opponent's going to be able to like see it coming and play around it appropriately. Uh, they're not just going to be jamming right before you you get to destroy all their creatures. On on the flip side of that, and this this applies more to that that, that like mid range mirror than out of a controlish deck. On the flip side of that, this wraths on your turn at the beginning of your turn so you're the first one you know if you kept a creature in play and this wraths on your turn leaving that creature in play and then you get to cast another one before your opponent gets to put anything into play so you're like pretty ahead on tempo at that point you know even True. disregarding True. whatever card advantage you got from this thing so i can see this being pretty powerful you know, we got a lot of tools in black, it looks like, for these mid-range matchups, and it's just picking which ones actually do the job that, that you want to do. But this could be one of them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so what do we want to give this? Um, it's so tough. I think that it could easily be, like, almost a beat, you know? I think that right. it definitely has potential to be that powerful, like, that has a constant format presence. But it also just might be a little too clunky in practice, and, uh, and nobody plays it, so... It could, you know, turn out to be an F, but yep. I, I think that I'm I'm willing to give it a, a tentative B. I think it's pretty powerful. Okay. Um, I, I was definitely thinking C, but I mean, I don't think you're crazy for for that or anything. Like, I sure. could see this being a very important card in standard. Next up is Settle the Score, which is two and two black for a sorcery. Exile target creature. Put two loyalty counters on a planeswalker you control. Yeah. So not, it's a, kind of an oddball one. Definitely. We've never seen that that text before, so that's yeah. definitely kind of a new thing. Right. Like, if you're if you're kind of, like, trying to race one of your Planeswalkers to ultimate, then this could be super, super sweet in order to do that. Yeah. The problem is that I just think that this card in standard is going to be strictly worse than all of the other exile creature effects. Yep. Um, just because it's a sorcery, 
And the only thing that it has going for it is that maybe you get to put two loyalty counters on a planeswalker you control, but that's pretty win more. Like if you're if you're if spending you're, four mana to kill a yeah. creature and you have a planeswalker in play, I think that you're going to be doing all right. So yeah, I, I think that this card might be a little too win more. Where I would just like if I if I'm going to have a four mana exile a creature effect, I'm going to want a Vrasis Contempt pretty yeah. easily over this card every time. I, and I think Vraska's Contempt pushes this out in, in several ways. Like, number one is just a, a better card in most situations. Being able to target Planeswalkers, being an instant, gaining two life, all are huge things. Um, the fact that it can be flashback by Gear Hulk is a really big deal. Like, Vraska's Contempt most, most of the time is just better than this card by a lot. Uh, also, you know, we saw the format adjust because of Vraska's Contempt. People are it ended up playing lots of decks that Vraska's Contempt wasn't very good against, and you really don't want to be on a sorcery speed version of Vraska's Contempt when you're playing against the decks that have adapted to that card. Like, that's just an awful place to be, like, playing against Green-White or playing against Blossoming Defense, and, and having a sorcery speed version of that card is, is pretty miserable. So yeah, I'm not high on this card. The only place that I could really see it is if we did build that, like, super Planeswalker-heavy deck that wants to run, like, the uh, Karn's Temporal Sundering or something like that, and you're just, like, almost guaranteed to have a Planeswalker in play just because you're playing one, like, every single turn. That's probably <laughs> not a deck that is going to exist, but if it, if you, if you have your, like, like, 14 Planeswalker deck or something like that, then maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, agreed. But, yeah, doesn't seem super likely. But two, two counters, adding two counters to a Planeswalker basically gets them to their ultimate most of the time definitely keep this one in your in your pocket for it, it, if that's a deck you want to play <laughs> right right but probably enough probably uh, just not good enough yeah i'm gonna give it enough i um i think that it's just too much worse than any of the other options that we've got so yep yeah not great next up we got another we got an even weirder one i think this is torgar famine incarnate six <laughs> black black so 8 mana for a 7-6 legendary creature avatar. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you may sacrifice any number of creatures. This spell costs 2 less to cast for each creature sacrificed this way. When Torgar Famine Incarnate enters the battlefield, up to one target player's life total becomes half their starting life total rounded down. So you, you choose a player and set their life total to 10. So he's, yes. an, he's 8 mana for each creature you sacrifice, he costs 2 less and sets a player's life total to 10, and then he's just a vanilla 7-6 when he's in play. This is very difficult for me to evaluate. It's Yeah, it's a weird one, because we don't really have any decks that we know about right now that that like are going to have a bunch of creatures just kind of like chilling that, that we're happy to sacrifice, right? right? None of the creatures right now that we've been playing with are have that like voice of resurgence effect where it's like you almost are incentivized to sacrifice them right i think that we, we're gonna need creatures like that or a deck like some sort of aristocrats deck in order to want to play this kind of card because the payoff doesn't actually just it just doesn't seem that great you know you just get like a decently sized dude or set somebody's life total to 10 you know and then that's just kind of it it feels a little underwhelming for how much effort we're putting into getting this guy in the battlefield right i um, think the the question is how much can we lower that like effort threshold and if you can lower it enough that like this seven six feels really quite cheap to cast uh, like sacrificing these creatures wasn't that big of a deal then then this becomes a card but yeah i i agree that we don't we don't have that deck yet even out of like green white tokens like 
you're putting a lot of energy into making your tokens. So even if something like SRAM's expertise and then this guy, like that's that's not that good. So yeah, right. I, I this to me this seems like a card that we initially are like, hmm, this card's interesting, and then we forget about it for a while, and it sees no play, and it's a bulk rare, and then some deck shows up that like really like makes it great like maybe two sets from now or something like that and then it's all over the place and that deck is is one of the most important decks in the format or something that's that's kind of what this card <laughs> feels like to me for some reason yeah we may it's just like, never um, never see it but what was the artifact colossus or whatever that was cheaper for a long time oh metalwork colossus um, right so you know people kind of just kind of shrugged and dismissed that guy initially but then there's like somebody made a really good deck that you know kind of utilized that and people were like, oh, this guy. Yeah. I feel like this might have a similar... Like, if this guy does end up seeing play, it's going to be something like that where, you know, somebody figure, figures out, like, a really good shell for it and plays it and it's good and it kind of, like, catches people off guard. But I don't think that we'll see any of this kind of, like, early on. Right, right. And it, it probably won't ever, like, take over the format, but it, somebody might crush a weekend with it or something like that. Could be. Yeah. So... We'll see. Very possible. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a D... D to F or something like that. I mean, there's there's enough like interesting stuff here that I'll just call it a D because it it could be very powerful. Yeah, that's fair. I'm down for that. So this next one is a little bit simpler, but kind of thematically similar. Vicious offering, one in a black for an instant. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn, and you can pay the kicker cost of sacrifice a creature. And if it was kicked, instead a creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. So this is just one more excellent option for like Black's giant stack of playable removal spells. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it kind of fits the bill on a lot of stuff. It's instant speed. It gives the creature minus two, minus two for two. You know, that's that kills a lot of stuff right now. People are already playing the one that gains two life. But again, this kind of suffers from the... There aren't really any decks right now that I'm just, like, super excited to sacrifice creatures yep. in. So the kind of... The, the, the benefit that this has to potentially give something minus five, minus five, is there, but it feels like it's a real cost of sacrificing a creature instead of, like, you know, there's not really any deck that I can think of right now that's just, like, you know, got a bunch of dudes. Maybe the... Um, hidden stockpile maybe the hidden stockpile decks like might want to run a couple of these as a a, a removal spell that will also like trigger revolt or something that yeah. could be pretty neat that's that's um, possible but that's kind of the only the only place that i could think of that would yeah be, you know. and those tend to not want that much spot removal you know exactly you, you exactly. usually want to like get as much value out of your fumigates as possible i mean like the the cool thing about this card is that it kills early creatures and it kills Glorybringer and Hazaret. So just like the the list of guys that it can deal with, you know, in the like Venn diagram of like which removal spells deal with which creatures, like the circle that this covers is a very interesting circle. But yeah, that cost is very real. You have to be in a deck that can pay the the kicker cost and not hate paying that kicker cost that's a, a little tough to see uh and and you know like a deck like the hidden stockpile deck Glorybringer is good against that deck and so having a an early removal spell that later on can kill a Glorybringer may be something that a deck like that is interested in you know that deck is not as interested in dealing with Hazaret because it like Hazaret doesn't do that much against it anyways although it can like sometimes you get burned out by a Hazaret 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't see this as like being particularly huge for that deck. I, but I, I think token strategies are going to be a big part of the metagame and you don't really have to build your deck around this thing the way that you have to build it around Torgar, Famine Incarnate. Cause that guy really wants you to be sacrificing like two or three creatures. This one only asks for one. So if you're getting any incidental tokens off of stuff, you know, if you uh, fungal infection to something and that sapperling is still around, you can sacrifice that to Vicious Offering. Like, th there's maybe enough incidental ways to get creatures you don't care about that much to make this work. And and just the range of creatures that you can kill with it is broad enough that it, it's probably worth making an effort if, if it's possible to make it work. Right. True. It, it, yeah. If if you know if it's working the way you want it to, it, it is going to be pretty efficient. Yeah. I don't know if that's like that's definitely not enough to get it up to B territory. Although if we end up with a couple of decks that have plenty of tokens and are black decks, then you know this card is going to be a no brainer to put into those decks. But I that right. it's probably about a C. Like the front it side be, is and fine. And that could be and, like a couple sets from now. You know, Th yeah. this might be a card that we like kind of find again when we have like more sacrifice outlet stuff right or sacrificeable yeah. stuff i guess although hazard will probably be out of the format by then but there's plenty of big threats to kill that like you don't mind you know so i, I think this is a, a very useful card probably a c yeah i'm done with that all right and then our last card for this episode this is yagmoth's vile offering so this is four and a black for a legendary sorcery so you need a legendary creature or a planeswalker in play to cast it. Put up to one target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker. Exile Yogmoth's Vile Offering. So this is another one of those legendary sorceries that you can yeah. only cast if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. And again, it's like really powerful, right? But it's just kind of hard to evaluate because it has the requirement of you like having a good permanent in play already. So that's kind of it's kind of tough to be like of course this card's busted cuz yeah. you know just looking at the text of, of course it's busted. You reanimate a thing and you kill one of their things. Right. Um but I I'm just you know pretty concerned about all of the cards that have that requirement of already having something in play. Yeah, and it requires you to have something pretty specific in play. So I you know, I'm I'm having trouble picturing like which which legendary creatures or planeswalkers you're likely to have in play. Like again, this is another one of those like black mid-range breaker cards that is this is excellent to cast if you're slugging it out with some other like five five mana deck, basically. But yeah, the the requirements are just pretty high. And unfortunately, like because of the way it's worded, you know, if it were worded differently, like destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker and then return a creature from a graveyard to play like then you could use it to steal a scarab god but because of the way it's it's worded you have to pick your targets when you cast the spell so you can't even use it to steal a scarab god which is like probably a use case that would be very handy to have and and you just can't yeah. even do that even if you have it turned on so i think unfortunately this is probably not where we're going to be looking most of the time but every once in a while, it might there might be a deck that can handle running this card and, and wants it for, you know, for those slugfest matchups. Right, right, for sure. Where, like, you know, the board's going to stall up a little bit, so you can expect to have, like, I don't know, a Gonti or something in play. Sure. At some point. 
be able to cast this and really, you know, have have a good uh, card advantage swing. But, yeah, I mean, what I really want is a deck with with Gontis that can run several Gontis, and then like, you know, I want like Liliana the Last Hope back in standard or something like that, and, and then you know, then those, and then maybe like one other random legendary or something. Then I'd feel comfortable playing this, but I, I think we might just not be there right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of. I maybe I'm just undervaluing all of these legendary sorceries, but I'm pretty. I think that they are probably not going to see a lot of play in standard. No, it's just it, it just asks too much. Like you need your spells to do a thing when you like passing a five mana spell is like tough enough in standard. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So you want it to you know you want it to be consistent in that regard. Where yep. you know if you if you get up to your five mana, you want to be able to cast it, not just be able to be like. All right. Well, hopefully our legendary dude resolve, uh, you know, resolves yeah. or and or lives through the t- the turn cycle. Yeah, and it's just really too many things to ask. But there's there's certainly a lot of power here if you can harness it. That's just going to be tough to do. So D to F. Like I wouldn't be surprised if this just ends up in my bulk rare box and never sees play. Yeah, that's that's kind of the gut feeling I'm getting for this card. But who knows? Yeah, disappointing. I mean, it is a cool card, and I will be happy if I get to play it. That that's certainly where where i stand on it but yeah yeah so that should wrap it up for today we will be back next week for the red cards the green cards the gold cards the lands the the artifacts um i i I feel like there was some pretty cool stuff in here but a lot of the cards that i'm like really pumped about are like multicolored cards and red cards in particular so it'll it'll definitely be an exciting episode (laughs) yeah but you know definitely plenty to chew on for this so i'm yeah super pumped for Dominaria. Seems like a sweet set, honestly. Yeah, just a bunch of, like, kind of simple, elegant designs that, like, push the game in interesting ways. Like, I really like the cycle of triple color guys, like like Benelish Marshall, the white, white, white one, the blue, blue, blue one, that, that say, like, play a monocolored deck and here is a reward for that. Like, I really like these kind of simple designs that push you in a direction that you might not have gone before. So I, I really appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah, they're definitely, you can definitely tell that they're trying things out and yeah. uh you know pushing some boundaries on stuff which is it's always fun to see yeah it's, it's really good and, and gets your sort of brewing gears turning right but yeah so we'll be back next week with with the rest of the stuff thanks to everybody so much for listening thanks of course to our patreon subscribers if you would like to find us on the internet you can find us at mtggrindcast.com you can also if you would like support us on patreon at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast of course you don't have to the podcast is totally free and you listening is just just as nice as as you supporting or almost as nice as you supporting whatever (laughs) and you can also find us on twitter I'm at mtg underscore grindcast. You can find Collins as well. I'm at Collins Ballman on Twitter. That's it from us. Uh, have a great week. All right. Peace. Peace.